Well, good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. We welcome you joining us online this morning as well. Thanks for coming in and uh, sitting with us this morning at home. But we are grateful for all of you that are here today. And as we continue our series that's going to lead us right up into Easter, he gets a series. And I don't know about you, but I've so enjoyed uh, this series. Just hearing about the incarnation of Christ in the power that it brings to our lives to see how Jesus gets us. He understands what it's like to live in this world. A lot of times we feel like nobody understands me. You know, maybe your teenager says that to you a lot. You don't understand me. Okay, do you teenagers do that? I bet you do. But Jesus does. He gets us. He understands us right where we're at. And so we've been looking at some great uh, themes of this over the last few weeks from the idea that he cried, he understands our emotions, to he understands what it's like to live under a, a political system that's not all that perfect. And last week, Pastor Errol shared with us how God gets us. He gets us because he was ordinary. And... Uh, after a week of talking about what it means for Jesus to be ordinary, they found the most ordinary pastor, and here I am this morning, okay? Uh, I'm Pastor Brent. For those of you I haven't met before, I'm the executive pastor here. And uh, it's my privilege this morning to, to bring uh, our message today. And, uh, you know, as Pastor Errol showed off his okayest pastor shirt, I thought, well, I could wear, you know, something else, and I, I, I didn't, so I'm not going to flash you this morning, but I'd have the ordinary pastor t-shirt this morning. But we're going to get into the next topic we want to talk about, and this is, this is the topic. He, Jesus, wasn't too big for little work. Jesus wasn't too big for little work. And we're going to look at the fact that how God came into this world, the God of creation, and yet he came and served. And so we're going to keep this in the back of our mind as we go through our message today. Now, when I was a kindergartner, about six years old, oh, stop it, stop it. More, more, you know, yeah. Yeah, you're like, what happened to the poor guy? Um, but this is me, six years old. And guess what I wanted to do when I was six years old? What my dream was. My dream was to become the President of the United States. I know, just a little, just a little dream I had. Um, now I have no desire at all, okay? But back then, I thought it would be so cool to be the President of the United States. Well, was it because I had all this foreign relations skills? Not really. I could kind of get along with the neighborhood, but beyond that, it was free game, okay? Was it because I had great financial insights that I felt like our country needed? Nope. Was it my military strategy? Well, I did get into G.I. Joe, and I love my little green army men, and boy, could they do a good battle. But you know why I wanted to be president of the United States? Because I would be in charge. Okay, And as a six-year-old processing that, that seemed pretty cool. That I was in charge and I'd have all my minions to care for me. And that I would be the pretty face that would lead the world. That's what a sixth grader or a six-year-old thought. But that sometimes is the way we think as well. 
We're looking for that next promotion, that next opportunity to get up the ranks, to climb the ladder, as we say, so that I can work less, make more, and have others doing the dirty work. And that's just part of our society. We love to be served. We tend to desire positions of authority, as I said, working our way up. We even have a service industry that takes care of us. And why do we do that? Because we want to be important. We want to be able to sit back and kind of be a little bit above the cream of the crop. The same was true in Jesus' day. A lot of the Jewish young men, their desire was to one day be a rabbi. A rabbi is another term for teacher and simply meant that you were to gather students around you and to teach them everything you knew about the Torah, God's Word, everything you knew about God, everything you knew about life. And there were certain rabbis that families would literally, you know, in a sense, make a lineup. There was a sign-up list. I want my teenage boy to get with that rabbi. He is up here. He is a class act. People had this desire to get their kids into these rabbinical schools with these certain rabbis because it was prestigious. It let, you were, your family was at a point if your son got into one of these schools. And these rabbis, as I said, would just pour into these kids. They would teach them everything. These, these guys would follow them around wherever they would go. And they'd literally listen in. And if you go to Israel today, we just came back a few weeks ago from our Israel trip. If you go there today, you will still see groups like that following these men around. And they literally are listening to every word they say, hoping that one day they will become just like them. And as these disciples learn of the rabbi, at some point the rabbi will say, okay, I want you to go out and I want you to practice what you've learned. And he would send them out. Guess what? That's what Jesus did. He sent his disciples out two by two. Go out, spread the word of the kingdom, do the miraculous, and then come back and talk to me about it. And once the rabbi realized his, or realizes his disciples are at a point of fully grasping everything that he's given them, there's nothing more he can give them, he will commission his disciples to go out and to spread the word and in a sense find disciples for themselves and become a rabbi themselves. It's interesting, Jesus did that, Matthew 28 says he gathered the disciples. He said, go into all the world, preach and teach the gospel, baptize, make disciples. And so that's what we see. And I want you to keep this in mind today. The goal of this rabbi was to bring his disciples into such an understanding of who he was and what his teachings were that they would imitate him and follow in just the same way. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them this morning, turn to John chapter 13, John chapter 13, and we're going to look at a familiar passage, familiar story of Jesus showing his disciples, the rabbi teaching his disciples by example what it means to be part of his kingdom. Would you stand with me this morning? John chapter 13. 
was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And let me just set the table a little bit. No pun intended, okay? But set the table. This is the Last Supper. You know what we talk about when Jesus gathered the disciples right before he was supposed to, was to go to the garden and pray and then to the cross and die for our sins. This is right before all that. This is their last meal together. And so verse 2, the evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drawing them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me a good bubble bath, Lord, okay? I'm ready. I want everything. Skipping down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our topic this morning is one word, and that one word is serve. What does it look like to serve the world around you? What does it look like to serve your family? What does it look like to serve at your workplace? And I hope today we answer those questions for you as we look at how Jesus served. From John chapter 13, the first thing I see here is Jesus served out of his authority. Christ served out of his authority. Look at verse 3 through 5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. What does all mean? All things. He has all power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. If you have all power and you've just come from the throne room of heaven, what would you do? I'd be like, well, I'm going to get up and say a big word, or I'm going to do the miraculous, and Jesus did all those things. But John is getting us to kind of get in, into our mindset, this whole picture, that this was God. And he realized the power that he had, and because of that power, guess what he did? He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
Out of his authority as the son of God, out of his authority of coming from the throne room of heaven, guess what he does? Gets on his knees and begins to wash dirty, grimy feet. I don't know about you, I'm not a foot person, okay? If you ask me to wash your foot, I'm going to really pray about it, okay? All right? Most of us, feet, I don't want to, you know. Um, Birgit was telling me a story. That's what she does for a living in her her salon. I'm like, God bless you, lady, okay? But if you had all power, that's the last thing you'd want to do. Look at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I've done for you, asked them. You call me teacher or rabbi and Lord, which is master. And that's rightly so, for that is what I am. He's not denying who he is. He says, I am your master. I am your teacher. And the custom of a rabbi system was the disciples care for the rabbi. The rabbi doesn't care for the disciples. The rabbi's just there to give them the knowledge and the wisdom and to take all the wisdom that they have and pour into their disciples. The disciples are there to serve the rabbi. But the rabbi here says, you are right in calling me teacher and Lord. Now that I, verse 14, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Wow. As Lord and as master, you become a servant? That was countercultural for those disciples, just as much as it is for us today. He lived in a society, they lived in a society that was filled with servants and slaves. In fact, you had, the more servants, the more slaves you had, the more important a person you were, the more you had, the more prestigious you were. And so you got the most servants and slaves you could so that you could be cared for. But Jesus is saying, now you as the master, out of your authority, Care for your servants and care for those that God has placed around you. Talk about mind-blowing to them. And we go, wow, yeah, that must have been crazy. It's crazy for us too today to think about that. As we find ourselves in different positions of authority, as we find ourselves in different positions uh, up the corporate ladder, as you say, as we find ourselves in these different areas, we're, our, the, the rest of the culture is looking for those positions to be served, to be taken care of. But what does Jesus remind these disciples of and he reminds you and I of is the fact that the positions that God has given us is not so that others can serve us and make us feel better. He's given us those places so that we can serve even more. Some of you have some amazing positions of authority in your workplace, even in our government system, in our schools. God has blessed us with those positions not to be served, but to serve. And yep, that is countercultural. But let me tell you, the minute you start serving those around you, they're going to start scratching their head and asking lots of questions. Why are you serving? Why are you shouldn't be doing that? I get that a lot around here. Pastor, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, I'm taking out a trash bag or something. Somebody's, you pastor, somebody else should. No, we're all here to serve each other. We're all here to work together. And just as Jesus reminded his disciples, he's reminding us today as well 
The authority that God has given you is an opportunity to serve. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's like, you know what the world's like. Those that got authority, they know they have authority. They're just walking all over everybody. But he says, verse 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, in a sense, says, if the Son of God came to serve and you're my followers, guess what you're going to do? You're going to serve. So Christ served out of his authority. And number two I want to leave you with today is Christ showed us how to serve by example. Look at verse 15. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I always love it when an example is given. All right? When I am showed something, I'm not just told something, but I'm showed something. And that's what Jesus did. He showed them by example as he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, for us, washing feet is kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I walk into your homes, nobody's going to go, hey, Pastor Brent, can I wash your feet? No, you're not going to do that. We don't do that in our day and age. But washing of feet was a super, super hospitality thing that the Eastern culture really grasped. In fact, when you would enter a home, if you weren't served in this way, it was, you know, nose down going, who in the world are you? Why aren't you doing this for me? In fact, if you read about Abraham, the patriarch, back in the book of Genesis, as he had guests come, you'll read in chapters 18 and 19 when different guests came to him in Genesis, that he would, first of all, ask him, come in to my tent, let, let my servant wash your feet. And then he would feed them. But it wasn't just out of hospitality, it was a necessity in the first century. Imagine walking around in your bare feet all day outside. Some had sandals. They were the blessed ones under their, uh, a piece of leather under their feet. But you walked outside in the dirt and the mud, the sweat and the grime all day long. And even, get this, you might have even stepped in some poo, okay? So you got all that on your feet and you're going into dinner somewhere, and you're not just sitting down at dinner, you recline at the dinner table. And guess what? I don't want your poo-packed feet in my face. <laughs> All right? So the custom was to wash the feet. But it was always the servant that washed the feet. If a servant wasn't available in the home, Maybe the wife of the host or maybe a son might do it, but most often than not, it was a servant. It was known as one of the most lowly tasks. In fact, some of the rabbis would teach their students that no Jewish man should ever wash someone else's feet. No one. Even if you were a servant in a house, you were to decline because that was below you to wash the feet of any other man. 
But what did Jesus do? He saw a need and he met it. It didn't matter that he was the son of God that had just came from the throne room of heaven. He saw a need and he met it. I always wonder why none of the disciples stepped up, but I'm sure they're just like the rest of us. You can imagine the little conversations going on as they get in there and they realize their feet aren't, haven't been washed and they're probably looking at the, the newest disciple and going, hey man, you're the newest disciple. You should be washing our feet. Or, you know, looking over here, Peter's probably bullying a little guy over here. You're the shortest guy. You should be washing our feet. And you got James and John going, whoa, guys, I can't wash your feet. We're going to be on his right and on his left, so we can't wash feet. And can you imagine all that is stirring around in that conversation? And in the midst of all that, what does Jesus do? He just gets up, gets the towel, gets the basin, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And if anybody should have had an out that night, it should have been Jesus. Like I mentioned, this was the Last Supper. He knew what was coming. The garden was coming where he would be on his knees on, on before God crying out, Lord, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't know if I can do this. He knew the beatings were coming. He knew the cross was coming. He knew all this was on his shoulders. And being human, he'd be a lot like us. I know when I'm stressed, the last thing I want to do is serve anybody. <laughs> when I'm stressed, I want to take care of me. He literally has the weight of the world on his shoulders, and yet what is he able to do? Serve. And he serves his disciples. Michael Card, the Christian artist and theologian, had this neat quote, I thought, just realizing in Jesus' life as a rabbi teaching his disciples and what he had to do, he says, this is a pivotal moment in that Jesus finally gives up on words. He's told them numerous parables about slaves. Now he will portray the most humiliating of slave roles, the washing of feet. Even after three long years of his often bizarre and indescribable behavior, the disciples are befuddled by the inappropriate behavior that leaves them speechless. To see their master, their rabbi, washing their feet. If the Son of God can come into this world and wash some boys' dirty, dung-filled toes, what can we do for the kingdom of God? What can we do in serving those around us? Because Christ calls us to serve as he served. This call wasn't for disciples 2,000 years ago. The call is still for us today to serve as he served. Look at verses 14 and 15 of that passage in John. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He says, as you've seen me do, now you go and do. 
As you have seen me serve, now you go and serve. And we might be sitting here today and you go, hey, pastor, that's a great message for that person next to me. They got that gift of serving. They're just awesome serving people. And I know we, some of us are naturally gifted in the area of serving. It's talked about even in the spiritual gifts, the gift of being able to serve others and being hospitable. So some of us have been given a gift of serving. But as well, that doesn't leave the rest of us off the hook. Because as Jesus points out, I think he sees serving not just as a gift, but it is a discipline. Serving is not just a gift. It's a discipline that can be learned and can be grown. And that's what he seems to emphasize with his disciples. He says, follow my example. Learn from me. Do as I do. This is what I've called you to, to learn what it means to serve. So how do we learn to serve better? I think first of all, we've got to let God do a mindset change. Because in our culture, it's so easy to have the mindset, you serve me. That's why you're here. You serve me. I'm in need. You serve me. But the culture God is trying to create in our lives and in his kingdom takes a mindset change. Of seeing others as God's image bearers and keeping our eyes open for opportunities to serve. So many times we got the blinders on our eyes. We got to, we're, our, our life is so busy, we got to just keep the blinders on and take care of ourselves. And my friend, if your life is so busy that you have no opportunity to serve, it might be time to look at that schedule and make some adjustments. Because our mindset needs to be adjusted to that. It also takes an attitude adjustment. Something needs to change in our heart. We need a changing of our heart, of compassion, of empathy, to see others and to have that same feeling, knowing, you know, I know what it's like to be in need. I can imagine how they feel in their need. I know what it's like to be served, so I can imagine by serving others what that must feel like. To allow that attitude adjustment to happen. We tell our teenagers every once in a while, you need an attitude adjustment. I think we all need an attitude adjustment. To serve in a way that shows God's heart. And once we let God get a hold of our mindset and our attitude, then we're able to take some action steps of serving others. Acting upon the change that God's doing in our lives. God has called us to be people that are serving. How are you serving? How are you serving? How are you serving your neighbor? And I'm always amazed people will say, I don't even know who my neighbor is. Well, there's a start. Take over a plate of cookies, get to know them, serve them. And you want to go all out and get some extra golden stars? Fight them over for dinner. Get to know your neighbor. Find ways to serve at work. Those of you in whatever position God's given you, find ways to serve those that are even maybe working for you. To find ways to serve. We got to keep this attitude of serving alive in the kingdom. There's none of us that have reached a point that are above it. 
All of us are called to be servants, each and every one of us. There's a volunteer event coming up the end of April. I think it's April 29th, Saturday, the Manuka Shanahan Cleanup Day. What would it be if mission got out there in such force with us just invading the village and saying, we want to pick up garbage? You're like, whoa, Pastor Brent, that's getting a little crazy. What would it look like for us to get out there and say, you know what? We're called to serve our community. We're called to serve people. I'm going to pick up trash. I'll go sit in the ditch over here with my boots on and pick up trash. Like, Pastor, that's getting carried. No, it's not. It's what Jesus calls us to do. If you're not serving here at church, find an area to plug in on. Find an area. You say, well, Pastor, I don't really know where to go. I don't have many gifts. We take ordinary people here. Look at who they got up here today. Okay? We take ordinary. We want to find a place to serve. Because that's part of the kingdom mentality. God lifts us up not to be served, but to have more opportunities to serve. Let me just say that again. God lifts us up not to be served, but to have more opportunities to serve. So wherever God has placed you, look at the opportunities God has given you to serve. He wasn't too big for little work. And he wasn't too big for big work. Passage in Matthew, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came into this world to serve in the most, I can't even use the big enough words, depths, of what it means to serve by allowing himself to find himself upon an old Roman rugged cross. The Roman cross was left for the worst of the worst. It was left for the despised, the rejected by society. It was that form of punishment that literally was along the side of a road so that people could see and watch the worst of the worst die. And be reminded, if you cross the Roman government, that was your destination as well. Yet Jesus was willing to go that low for us. The king of the universe hanging on a rough, timbered, old, rugged cross. Alongside a road, hanging between two, two just low-level thugs. being laughed at, being spat on, being cursed and insulted. You think washing feet was tough. Look at what he was willing to do for you and for me. He showed us this is what it means to serve. ultimately gave his all so that you and I could sit here today and celebrate that we're forgiven 
I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for a Savior that was willing to serve that much. And may we never forget that. May that never just become haphazard to us. Oh yeah, I'm serving Jesus. Yeah, he died on the cross. That was nice. No, may we never forget how much he was willing to do for you and me. How low he was willing to go. This morning we're going to enter into a time of communion. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 writes some key words. He says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't even his disciples. He died for us. We weren't even his close company. No, he still died for us. And friend, this morning that gospel truth continues to ring out. I don't care how far away from God you are right now. Christ has served you. He's given his life for you. And he asks you simply to say, okay, I give up. Lord, I want to follow you. We often say, hey, have you found God yet? Well, it's not about us finding God. It's about God finding us, and he's found you. He's just waiting for you to respond to that. Even while we we're sinners, Christ died for you and for me. May that never get old. We're going to take time for communion. And as our custom is here, leave your row on your left and come back in the right as you get your bread and juice. And if you're here today and you're visiting with us and you're like, well, this isn't my home church. Should I take this? Yes, you should. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to Jesus, you're part of the family today. And those at home, I encourage you, while the songs are going to be sung, find some bread, find some juice, take part with us today. But if you're here and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, maybe now's the time to just bow that knee in your own heart and say, God, I need you today. I'm a failure, I'm a mess, and I need your forgiveness today. Because what we do around this table is for the family. It's for those that are followers of Jesus today. And maybe today can be your first day of coming to the table and go, oh, I'm part of the family. And why is that? Because your Savior served and gave his life for you. Would you stand? The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And as they do, leave on your left, come back on your right, get them. There's some tables in front and in the back. And as the worship team just leads us, let that music just kind of float over you, fill you today, and just take some moments thanking Jesus for all that he's done in your life and for all that he's continuing to do. Would you come?